Hockey Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. My name is James, joined by my co-host Alex, per usual. Salutations. And our very special guest for the day, making his debut appearance on the show, we have Ethan Zander, none other than the Penny Blue, joining us. Ethan, welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Been listening to you for a while. Great to be on. Yeah, glad to finally get you on. Ethan's been in our Discord for, I don't know, over a year now, probably? Yeah, somewhere. Usually, yeah, usually posting lots of good content, so we figured we'd we'd bring him on for... Our first match preview in months, and I'm very excited to do the preview, probably more excited about the preview than I am the actual match. But before we get into the preview, we do have a couple news bits to get through with you guys to go over, a couple transfer links. So let's just get right into it. First things first, rumor has it from the Daily Mail that we have been linked with Ryan Fraser of Bournemouth. He turned down a deal from... The Cherries doesn't want to stick around looking for other options and apparently views Everton as his best potential destination. Alex, we'll throw it to you first. What do you make of this link? You think he's a useful player? Winger had 14 assists last season, slowed output a little bit this season, but you think he could be a good fit? Man, if you asked me this 12 months ago, I would have said yes. But since then, um, we've got players like Awobi, right? And then we still have... Bernard, and then obviously Richarlison can play on the left as well. And so, I mean, I think he's a decently tidy player, but I don't know that he would be the right fit for us, especially with our uh, financial fair play constraints and the numerous other positions that seem even more important than our left midfield. What about you, Ethan? Yeah, so with these uh, British guys, I definitely do not like the arbitrary price boost that comes with all of them. Again, like what James said, really good player last year, last season, seemed to be some type of statistical outlier. Uh, this year, he's just not keeping up with it. So I'm going to do a nice pass on this one. Yeah, that, that extra British tax is definitely like a deterrent, especially when we're looking at potentially very limited funds this summer. Again, this just strikes me as rumor for the sake of rumor for the sake of a headline. doesn't really seem realistic that he'd end up with us given our relative depth at that position compared to the rest of our squad. But interesting to consider, he is pacey. I mean, having watched him play several times, I do like what he brings to a game. Pretty explosive. Has a low center of gravity, quick turns and all of that. But yeah, the output just hasn't been there this season. And, and you know, you don't want to make a knee-jerk decision based on one good performance, even if it is in the same league that we play in. So I'm going to have to pass on this one as well. I know I've seen a lot of people who are excited about this move, but not for me. Let's move on to the next one. So we talked about this last episode, Tiago Silva from PSG. This rumor I imagine will continue to develop, but the latest in the story is that we have reportedly offered him a two-year deal on 83K per week. I know originally there were rumors that we may go as high or he may want as high as 150K per week, 100K per week. And the important thing about this is that it's a one-year deal and the second year would be contingent upon him getting at least 25 appearances. So Alex, last time we were both pretty much in favor of signing Tiago Silva if the price is right. Is 83K a fair price for a 35-year-old central defender? 
in an area where, again, we have only three fit or three senior players, but also some youth waiting in the waiting in the wings to kind of develop further as well. I don't know. It's a good question. Like the fair price thing is always confusing, especially now, like in the current climate, because we really don't know like how the market's going to react to all of the COVID issues and that sort of thing. And like, I, I personally haven't heard what's going to happen with, let's say, like all the TV deal money and and commercial revenue in general for for teams. But I mean, I personally, when I saw 83K a week and then I saw the second year option contingent upon 25 appearances, I thought, I mean, I like it. I think that he still, as we talked about, I mean, he still made the majority, if not all of the appearances this season for PSG. So it's not like he's necessarily slowing down in terms of, of fitness and match fitness. I think that we're obviously, we've been short a center back now, maybe even for longer, depending on, on Mina. So in my opinion, why not? Yeah, so the, the 83K per week is definitely an interesting thing, especially on a free transfer since he's going to be a free agent at the end of the, right. the season or in whatever, two months or something like that now. I, I can't fully justify him coming in just because he's 35 years old. I know there's like the whole experience uh, aspect that comes with it, but there's just a added risk of paying him 83K a week and being injury prone because of his advanced age. And I know he hasn't played in the Premier League yet, but he's played everywhere else in Europe. So I'm not really worried about him not being up to speed with the uh, league yet, but it would be very nice to have Ancelotti to have somebody that knows him inside and out and uh, help teach our other thriving up and coming center backs, the ways of Ancelotti and get our uh, defense up to his standards. That's that's actually a really good point, because I remember reading when we first signed Ancelotti comments from Zlatan when he went to PSG and how both he and Ancelotti kind of teamed up to instill a completely different culture and mentality at the club at the time because they weren't the global giant that they are now. Tiago Silva seems like a, a similar type of player who is familiar with his Ancelotti system, familiar with the coach himself, could help maybe change the culture, which I think we're all in agreement is not a... Uh, doesn't have a, exactly a recent history of winning or having a winning mentality or even just mental toughness at all. So for that aspect, I think that would be a really positive element that he could bring to the game, help Mason Holgate develop further, even Yuri Mina, and would even you know benefit Michael Keane as well. But do you really want to pay 83k per week for what would essentially be you know a coach who will he'll play for us, but then you're also hindering the development of those other younger guys. So. For me, I mean, I'm on the fence. If it goes through, I'm going to rejoice and be happy. But it also just seems like it has the potential to backfire horribly like so many of our other recent signings. Fabian Delft comes to mind, especially. <laughs> uh, he, uh, it's still laughable, the whole transfer to begin with. But seems like he was brought in to help lead the team, be a leader. But it seems to be that he doesn't seem to get the credibility that he was supposed to from all the young guys and stuff like that just because he plays one in five games because he's injured. Yeah, the constant injuries, <laughs> not great. But a Brazilian legend, Thiago Silva. So, you know, from a marketing perspective, it could be, you know, we could just basically take over the Brazilian mar soccer market <laughs> from an EPL standpoint. So that's another potential option. But I think we'll just have to wait to see what happens with this one. It really doesn't seem like something Marcel Brands would go for for those wages, but we'll wait and see. But let's talk about what we don't have to wait and see. We've got four days left until... The Premier League and Everton return to action. 
We actually had Premier League matches yesterday and some, I guess, drama right off the bat, right? We had the Sheffield United versus Aston Villa match where there was a diabolical VAR malfunction where the ball clearly went over the line, but because the keeper had it in his arm, the goal line technology was basically confused, was my understanding of of the statement from those in charge. Couldn't really tell if it went over. Camera angles made it seem like it clearly went over. That is a very costly two points drop for Sheffield United as they push for Europe right now, and a really important point for Aston Villa as they try to stay up. What did you guys make of that match, which was pretty ugly otherwise? I mean, the match itself, yeah, as you said, was was ugly. In terms of the in terms of the missed call on the goal, I mean, you would think that's what VAR is for, right? Like goal line technology doesn't work, so therefore, if there's really that much contention, and and then the linesman would have hopefully paid attention to some degree, then maybe they they would have had someone in the room review it, right? I think that's like the biggest issue is that that's that's what VAR is, and and it just kind of brings back. Uh, memories of Everton versus Manchester United for our very first match in person in which we were kind of robbed of of a goal as well and you would think that that's these are the situations in what in which VAR is 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 supposed to be useful and and helpful yeah so the match was absolutely horrible I was falling asleep through it like maybe 15 minutes into the game barely paying attention but I know the company that does the goal line decision making technology Hawkeye let out a formal apology on their social media to uh, all the fans of the Premier League and to the teams playing especially but the VR not being instantly implemented in that case should definitely be a thing that they revise and look at a little bit and look everything with the VAR practically so many problems but this is what it's here for and we're not even getting close to what we need it to do yeah it's just another VAR mishap that that continues to spark debate and create controversy and all of these things and we'll see what the implications are at the end of the season but if it comes down to maybe Sheffield missing out on Europe because of those two points or Villa staying up because of that one point I mean you just have to have to wonder what the Premier League is going to do to make this process better because the technology is, in theory, very useful, but the application of it time and time again this season has just not worked out. But let's move on to the other match of the day, which was Arsenal versus Manchester City. I'm sure many Blues were monitoring this one very closely because, of course, had Arsenal won and beat City, then it would have enabled Liverpool to win the league potentially on Sunday. But thanks to the atrocious and embarrassing David Luiz, two terrible individual errors, Arsenal were pretty much crushed. It was a it was kind of a bloodbath. Gets a red card on a terrible, terrible penalty to concede, and City were just away flying as, as much as they can fly. I mean, I thought that City looked pretty good and Arsenal looked pretty terrible. Mikel Arteta against his former boss, Pep Guardiola, couldn't really get much going, and City will probably comfortably finish second now, it looks like. Ethan, what did you make of that game? Did you catch any of it? Uh, I was actually sleeping because of working the night shift, <laughs> but uh, definitely caught all the uh, updates through my phone of just like the play-by-plays. But uh, looking back at like the lineup that Arteta used, kind of questionable on like, what he was thinking with the uh, amount of youth that was in the team and it's hitting a lot of senior players, mainstays of the team. 
I know that Arsenal's in a big rebuilding phase, but his decisions were a little bit questionable. Somehow makes me feel that he was throwing the game. Once a blue, always a blue, maybe. <laughs> I like that theory a lot. I mean, let's chalk it up to that. And, and in all seriousness, right? Like this match, besides even even the indirect effect it has on us coming Sunday, it's still relevant to us directly because Arsenal are currently, and this is after this match against City, in ninth place with 40 points. They're not too far off. It's it's definitely fair to say that they are are currently still in contention for spots in I w- I would say the Europa League. I don't I don't I wouldn't say that the Champions League would be attainable. But what happened was David Luiz got sent off, right? So he misses at least the next match. Well, the guy that they started initially was was Pablo Mari, who they signed, a center back that they signed not too long ago. I want to say actually in the January transfer window. He goes off injured in, I want to say, the 20-ish if minute. And now it comes out today that he is going to be out for an extended period of time. So not only do, you know, does David Luiz have, an, have a suspension for at least one game, which which Arsenal fans are claiming to be a blessing, they also don't have their other center back in which, you know, he started yesterday over David Luiz. And so I think that's a direct competitor for European places uh, when we're talking about Everton specifically. That, that really are going to hit uh, a bumpy road over the next couple months or over the next month or so. I really appreciate that you're still holding out hope that we're going to somehow push for Europe because I personally am not letting myself even have those thoughts until we get through, at the very least, get through this derby coming up on Sunday. So with that, let's move on to the first game back. The last time we saw Everton play, Alex and I were at Stamford Bridge to see Everton get absolutely obliterated by Chelsea, but it's been a long time. A lot of memories have faded, and I think we can all say that we're all fully expecting a a thrashing of Liverpool at Goodison Park on Sunday, even though we do have a lot of injuries racked up. So let's start with a recap. In case you have been completely tuned out from the Premier League for the last three months, Everton currently sit in 12th on 37 points. Seven-point gap between us and Sheffield United right now, who are currently in sixth. We've got no games in hand, so everyone has now played the same amount of matches, so all points are even. Quick run-through of our injuries. Yuri Mina, unlikely to play. Theo Walcott, also unlikely to play with his abdominal injury. Fabian Delph, per usual, mainstay on the injury list, as Ethan alluded to earlier. (laughs) And then, of course, we have Jean-Philippe Gabamin and Cenk Tosin both out with significant long long term injuries uh alex i'll throw it over to you to give us a quick recap of the last time we saw Everton. just on those injuries alone i think it's arguable that at least three of those names would be starting on sunday if fit so so that's kind of a big point of contention i think for all of us now last time out against chelsea i think people are going to be able to argue that this could look very similar to what we see on sunday simply because of injuries but we had pickford in the back uh we had Dean and Sidibe on the outside on defense, whereas Holgate and Keane partnered each other, which obviously seems pretty much guaranteed for the weekend. In midfield, we had Bernard and Sigurdsson on the outside with Davies and Gomez in the middle. And then we had Richarlison and and Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top. And, you know, when I wrote this, I'm sitting here thinking, well, we were demolished 4-0. It's been three months. Carlos probably had a good amount of time to assess the squad and that sort of thing. I wonder how different this lineup's going to look. And then I see the injury list all compiled into one night, nice, um, or one nice list. And I realize 
I'm not sure we have a whole lot of room to maneuver, but I would be interested in opening up the discussion and hearing um, y'all's preferred lineups, maybe starting. Uh, I'm, I'm going to assume we can all agree that Pickford will be in goal. So if we'd like to, uh, Ethan, how about you start with your preferred um, back four? Yeah, sure. To be honest, I don't know if I would go with a back four or back three or five. There's a couple of theories out there that the other two work better than the back four against Liverpool. But I think just because of what we're faced with injury-wise, back four might be what we're going to go for. I'm going to go with Holgate, Keane, Dean, and Coleman, actually, this time. Yeah, that's a good shout. And, and real quick, before James gives his input, um, to be fair about your, your point about a back three or back five, one of the first games in charge, Carlo Ancelotti showed us that and put Seamus Coleman at the right center back of the back three. To be fair, it could be possible. James, what do you think? I'm going to have to agree with Ethan. I just think I almost would prefer a back five just because I know how susceptible we are on the counterattack and what Liverpool like. And I just can see us very easily shipping a lot of goals. I think the back five would potentially shore that up. But again, the injuries basically f- almost forced Carlos' hand. I will say, I just hope to not see Jabril Sidibe anywhere near the team. I mean, he'll probably make the bench, but I would really be disappointed if I saw him in the starting lineup. I know it's been three months, but I will forever have the memories of his ridiculous missed tackles at Stanford Bridge just etched into my brain. And there's so ma- there's been so many of them throughout the course of this season, just defensive lapses. I think Coleman... He understands the gravity of a Merseyside derby. He loves the shirt. He's a longtime player. Who knows how much time he's got left? I, I think he has to play on the right. And of course, you're going to play play Luca Dean if he's fit on the left hand side. So I'm totally in agreement there. Yeah, I agree with both of you. Not to, not to sound too boring. Um, I like I do like those points about Coleman because you know sometimes I think the intangibles are, are overlooked quite a bit in the sport. So I think that's th- those are important because. You know, sometimes it it does come down to a difference as to, you know, who wants it more. And and maybe those are the factors that would prove deep down inside Seamus Coleman might want it more than Sidibe, just just subconsciously based on, as you said, like the gravity of the of the Derby itself. So let's talk about the midfield, right? If we're going for a back four, we've seen that Ancelotti mostly has used um a flat four four two. So if we're going to talk about um the midfield Ethan, why don't you start us off? Who would you like to see in the midfield based on uh, our current injuries? Yeah, so um, for the outside mids, I'm actually going to go with a, a Wobi over Bernard. People on the Discord know that I'm a pretty big Bernard fan. Just looking back on uh, Wobi's performances pre-Ancelotti, he is, has some ridiculous uh, movement of the ball forward not just side to side Bernard seems to be more of a side to side and then carries the ball forward type of player so I think that Wobi would definitely be more useful in hitting Liverpool on the counter where it hurts them the most moving on though on the right side I'm probably going to go with Sidibe actually gives us a little bit of flexibility we could move to five man back mid game Uh, I know we have the five subs now that we can also use two to our advantage but I think with Coleman behind him, giving him a little bit more cover, he's a little bit more useful in advanced positions. Not much defensive reliability or need for him to be as defensive-minded when he's on the right mid. And center mid, honestly, I wish I could just skip 
it's kind of embarrassing from what we have right now. But I feel like Davies has to play. Uh, we need some type of energy in the midfield, uh, somebody who can get up and down the pitch. Uh, Sigurdsson and Gomez together is just never going to happen, especially against a team as mobile and skilled as Liverpool. That being said, I'm going to have to go with Gomez paired with Davies in the center. As much as I just talk trash about Sidibe, I also am fully aware of the fact that we have very little depth on the right-hand side of midfield or in the entire midfield in general. So like Ethan, I wish I could skip it, but honestly, Sidibe does offer probably more going forward than he does on the defensive end. We've seen him and Coleman work fairly well at times when they're both playing on the right-hand side. It's also been a complete disaster at other times, but at this point, beggars can't be choosers, so... I just don't know. I'd rather see Sidibe out wide than see Gilfie Sigurdsson shoehorned out to the left and then have to force like a Wobi on the right. So that's actually a good call. I hadn't really considered that, but I like that shout. And then in the middle, again, I I appreciate what Gilfie Sigurdsson has been able to do in an Everton shirt over the last couple seasons, but this season has really exposed his lack of energy and his, his inability to kind of find good offensive positions to get into. So I agree, the energy of Davies, and then you have to play Andre Gomez just because, although, again, defensively, he's can be kind of a liability, what he offers as far as moving the ball is superior to really any other options that we have there. Although, theoretically, I mean, we could see Morgan Schneiderlin feature in there because he's not gone yet, but if we want any offensive momentum going, you kind of have to look to move the ball forward with those two positions. Yeah, I also thought that the Sidibe shout was a, was a pretty good shout. I think it would offer us a little more flexibility in the transition between defense and offense and vice versa, as you said, right? Like Seamus Coleman can kind of slide over and Sidibe can get forward. I will say, if I remember correctly, the last time I saw Sidibe play at right midfield, though, with Seamus Coleman behind him, his positioning was definitely kind of off, especially when we started to compress on defense. I felt like he, he kind of almost looked like a placeholder and he was very almost hesitant. But at the same time, we know that, I mean, Theo Walcott's out and he's the only natural right-sided player we have. We've seen Richarlison play there before, but especially in a flat 4-4-2, I think anyone could argue that Richarlison's talents are uh, wasted quite a bit playing that far deep. So it, it leaves us... I mean, it leaves us with very, very minimal options. I mean, we're we're going to have to shoehorn someone to the right-hand side, and I would say it's easily going to be one of Awobi, Bernard, and Sidibe. And then on the left-hand side, the same thing could be said about Awobi and Bernard. I mean, one of the two of them, honestly, I won't be hard-pressed if Awobi or Bernard start on the left, but I do like the shout of Awobi because I agree. He, I, I, think, um, I think he creates a, a decent amount of open play chances compared to a lot of our other players. And as you said, I mean, he he might not be the most polished player yet, but he's still young and he definitely has kind of an all... He has good, good vision. Let's leave it at that. In terms of the center, you know, this kind of gets into my biggest issue with trying to call a lineup because there's a difference between what I would prefer and then what I really think Ancelotti might do. And I just don't know if he's going to drop Sigurdsson. I thought it was really interesting. Like, it was almost a tell-all that that he played... He was, like, the third manager in a row to play Sigurdsson on the left-hand side. And that's only at Everton, not even including, like, his, his failed stint at Tottenham. So, I, I don't know what's up with that. 
I don't think that he deserves to start currently. I think it should be Davies and Gomez. And to be honest, I'd rather, like at this point, I'd rather give the time, you know, I would say Gomez has to be the one that starts, right? And so I'd rather give the time to Tom Davies uh, at the end of the season than Sigurdsson, especially if maybe we consider their future to be a doubt. So then let's so, talk about strikers, right? Let's, I, I think, I don't honestly don't know if we need to dedicate a ton of time to this because is there, does anyone disagree that it will be Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up top? Everybody knows from the, the Discord that I'm not the biggest uh, dominant Calvert-Lewin fan, but I wow, think, yeah, yeah uh, but uh, I think that with the type of players that Liverpool have been having issues against this season, teams that they have picked up losses to so far, uh, we definitely need somebody that's going to win balls in the air, bring them down, and uh, link up with the other forward, which, of course, is going to be Richie. I mean, come on. I think I agree completely. And and honestly, if we know anything, it's that Dominic Calvert-Lewin can win a ball in the air. So if if that's what you're looking for mainly, at least from that from that standpoint, I think we will be well covered. Let's talk a little bit about Liverpool, because though it's been so long since we've last beaten them, they have, and it's, it's again, doesn't feel recent, but it is in terms of the, the timeline of matches that they played. They haven't really been at their best while we were over in England. They lost to Atletico. They lost to Watford. Was it 3-0? I mean, unbelievable scenes at mm-hmm. the time. Ethan, I know you're big into analyzing tactics. Can you talk about both the Watford and Atletico match and maybe identify some similarities between how those teams were able to to tactically take down the juggernaut that has been Liverpool this season? Yeah, so uh, both of them kind of took like a, a little bit of a different defensive approach. Atleti used a four four two, and just like Simone likes to use pretty often throughout the season, but they are an extremely organized team, especially defensively. But they like to stay nice and compact and narrow and clog up that middle channel of the pitch. And for Liverpool, that was a, a bit troubling because then Salah and Mane couldn't take up the half spaces uh, in between the outside back and center back, which forced them out wide, which they do not play well at or not their best. That made him rely on... Uh, Firmino a lot, along with the center mids moving forward. The main thing for Atleti is that they have been doing this low block counterattack type play for years now under Simone. A lot of these players are very experienced at what they do. Going forward, the main thing for Liverpool is just hit them on the counter, hit them fast, hard, and uh, try to get them reeling as they try to press you in your own half. And that makes sense. And I mean, is it fair to say that honestly, whether we were to have known about how let's say Wofford and Letty set up, it sounds like that's probably what our best bet is going to be as well. Simply because of the personnel, which is not a whole lot of high energy players specifically in, in the center of the pitch. And so it makes the most sense to sit in a low block uh, I think it's safe to say that Liverpool will probably have possession, which means, again, that we will be playing defense quite often and we need to be as organized as possible. And then lastly, because of the prior two facts, that means that our best bet is going to be on the counterattack to score a couple goals. 
Yeah, uh, going with the Watford game, Watford really used the counterattack well. Honestly, if there's a, a game that we should try to mirror, I would say it's Watford better than the Napoli game that Liverpool lost or against the Letty the two times. Watford definitely seemed to do it right in their type of formation that they set up at. They tried using a 4-5-1 and had Decore kind of pushed up higher and had Troy Deeney as the lone striker with Delefeu and uh, Saar on the outsides. And they kind of split up the team into like two units, and one of them was the attacking unit and had uh, the four players, Decore, Troy Deeney, Delefeu, and Saar. And they were kind of dedicated to going forward at speed together and linking up together. At first in the first half, they tried to uh, stay pretty wide and spread out on offense, which didn't work, and then they came in linked up with each other which seemed to do the trick they they sacrificed the the space in between the defensive line with using the two units and the offensive line where liverpool really thrive that's where they really press teams that's where they attack teams uh try to win the ball back with Klopp's favored gang press type play if we can just skip that entirely and work on moving very vertically up the field like Ancelotti likes to, I'd say that is our complete best bet. Try to find uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Uh, hopefully he can help link up with Richie. And I think going back to my pick of Awobi, I think Awobi is a lot better uh, moving forward at speed than Bernard is. And he can also hit a lot better uh, more accurate long balls than Bernard can also. And also just thinking about our season and not trying to focus too much on, on Liverpool because I just hate their guts. You know, the success that we had when Duncan Ferguson came in was just keeping the game very simple and playing direct and playing long balls. And our fans gave Sam Allardyce a lot of flack for the style of play that he, he brought when he was manager, but very similar type of, of style to what Dunk Big Dunk brought in. Very direct, keep things simple just bypass any kind of press. Don't worry about trying to get too fancy in the midfield and then turning it over and giving Liverpool, you know, numbers and attack. As long as you can boot the ball up, at least then you have men behind the ball should we turn the ball over and we're able to at least keep some sort of defensive shape because I remember when we played in the 5-2 five, five match in the last derby in the league, we were just cut wide open by a lot of those long diagonal balls. And even in the in the cup, it was a very similar situation where Liverpool were able to just get in behind our defense. And, and of course, we don't have a great deal of pace really anywhere on, on defense, especially with, with Seamus Coleman and, and Luca Dean is, is quick enough, but not gonna, he, he might struggle to, to keep up with, with their wingers. So uh, I just think we, we have to play very simple, have to play compact and hope for one or two opportunities, make one of them count. We're just gonna, we're just gonna have to not concede five goals again. Like we just can't. We're going to have to focus on defense first and hope that we get a couple chances. And should we be awarded penalty this time, which I wouldn't hold your breath because we've got Mike Dean refing yet again. But, I mean, we could we could steal one, but it just seems kind of unlikely at this point. I know with the league not being winnable on Sunday, a lot of fans probably, I guess the pressure is more or less off. So that could be liberating for the squad. Maybe they can play with more freedom and more composure and, I guess we'll just see where it takes us. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, and you know, I think I think the another huge difference and and the reason why maybe the upcoming match would would sap a lot of confidence from 
Everton fans, other than the fact that we've lost twice to them already this season, is is really just the fact that we have numerous injuries, which again, I think we can all agree, at least three of those players would be starting um, no matter what if they were fit, not to mention the fact that Liverpool, as of recently, have zero injury concerns, which seems to be somehow a trend for them over the last year and a half or so. So that that I think is is you know just the biggest issue. HGH perhaps could <laughs> it be? I'm not saying it is, but I'm also not saying it's not. That's that's my two cents on that. But it is crazy. Like the fact that we're so injured after a three month hiatus with no matches played is just mind boggling to me. And actually, one thing that I did want to talk about and bring bring to the table to talk about with you guys was. The fact that seemingly most other squads in the Prem have played at least one practice match against another league side, whether it be in the Championship, League One, what have you. Whereas Everton have only played an inter-squad friendly. I don't know if anyone else saw the highlights that were posted on Everton's YouTube channel, but some decent play, some some youth players that look fairly promising. But do you think that that will set us back, having not really played a real quote-unquote match since we've we've returned to training or do you think that it will benefit us just by the fact that we weren't able to pick up any more injuries? Um, I mean, I think, I think it hinders us a little bit simply because even, even with the risk of injury and that sort of thing, I think maybe it could show us really, I mean, it just, it puts a little bit more pressure on a team than let's say just scrimmaging against our mostly youth slash bench players. Right. And, and and furthermore, I think it would have helped us flesh out a little more of the, the issues, a little more of the details that we might see against opposition that we don't necessarily know a whole lot about. Whereas, you know, you're, you're now scrimmaging against players that you see in training every day for the last X amount of months or years. Yeah, I think uh, having the first team work together and play a outside uh, team, not our academy team, would have definitely have been a little bit helpful trying to iron things out. The Ancelotti is trying to get across to these players. Uh, hasn't had that much time. Uh, the three-month period that we had off, um, pretty sure Ancelotti was uh, sending out a bunch of tactical stuff for them to work on, look and review and everything like that. Uh, but actually put it into practice uh, is a whole nother beast of itself. And... Uh, doing it against an academy team or like with the younger players or not having one team filled with your starters when you're trying to achieve those things is kind of uh, hard to do and not very conducive to uh, getting that translated into an actual game. No, I agree with those points. I think that's totally fair. My one devil's advocate point would be that, I mean, playing a championship league one, league two side, is going to get nowhere near the level of playing Liverpool no matter what. You might get a little bit closer, but does it really, do you want to risk someone else picking up an injury to to play a team that probably just doesn't have the skill to play the same style that Liverpool inevitably will? So, I mean, the, just the fact that we didn't pick up any additional injuries, like could you imagine if Gomez, as he was rumored to have, be injured, we would be looking at a midfield of Sigurdsson and Davies? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's it's not that much better than what we're going to end up rolling with probably. And he Sigurdsson still might enable his way into the team, but um, we've got what we've got. We've got to roll into battle no matter what. So with that, I guess we better just get it over with gentlemen. Let's do score predictions. And because Ethan is our guest and I want to make him lead things off. 
with uh, what he thinks can, what he thinks will transpire on Sunday. Yeah, the people in the Discord know that I'm usually the uh, ridiculous, optimistic uh, one, say, going in with the four nil, five nil predictions. But uh, I think we're gonna keep this one a little bit more realistic. Uh, I'm gonna go with a two nothing win for the Toffees this time. Wow, I love you it. Said, you said realistic, Ethan. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I couldn't go with three. Three is pushing it, and uh, I like the thought of a, a clean sheet. Uh, I feel like Pickford going off after a, a clean sheet against Liverpool really just satisfies this whole. I mean, I, I feel I feel like that that would be surely nice. I think uh, I think I'm gonna have to go for a very optimistic one-all draw. I say that because I don't. I really just do not feel confident in our ability to keep a clean sheet against Liverpool. Um, but I also think that in in Everton fashion, they may give us a little bit of hope at some point during the match. And and I think that it, it, we could definitely see a goal scored, whether that's, you know, a one-in-one opportunity or that is, you know, we're just peppering the goal like they say in FIFA. Well, Ethan's very <laughs> optimistic in the Discord. Alex is traditionally the optimist on the show. I am always the pessimist. And while I respect your guys' optimism, I have been burned just too many times. And the last, the, so the the two games against Liverpool this season, I skipped work the, for the first one to go to a Starbucks to watch us lose five two. I think I left left at like four two or something like that, or four one or whatever it was. And then the cup match, I just rather not think about that because they're going to hold that one over our heads for years. This time. I am going to go for an optimistic for me 2-1 loss, and I hate to do it because it is the Derby, but I just can't see this really going well for us given our injuries and their health and just their squad that they have, the form they're in this season, everything working against us. But at the same time, you know, deep down inside me, I really do believe that we could pull it off, but I won't let, I won't go on record saying we're going to, we're going to win just so I can be vindicated on Sunday. But I think that's going to do it for us. Ethan, thank you so much for coming on, man. Really enjoyed having you on the show. It's been a, been a great time. Yep, thanks for having me, guys. Been a while coming. Uh, yeah. Really hope to see you guys out there again and do this again sometime. For sure, yes, man. And so Yeah, so hope everyone is able to catch the match on Sunday. If you're in for some, and for a real treat, everyone, it's going to be great to see Everton back on the pitch. I can't wait to hear Z-Cars play. It's going to be very strange seeing them play in an empty Goodison, but we'll have to make do for now. But we'll catch you guys after the match with our hopefully rejoicing review, but I guess we'll have to wait and see how that transpires. And until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.